What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 10 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, as always, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. He'll be joining us shortly. In episode 10 of the podcast, we're going to discuss the September issue of Modern Drummer Magazine. We'll dive into an article that I wrote for their rock and jazz section called Grooving and Form. We'll discuss cover artist Mr. Gil Sharon. We'll get into some gear review stuff with the Peisty PSTX series symbols and two new offerings from the Craviato Drum Company. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get into it. Mr. Mike Dawson, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Good to talk to you again. We are at episode 10, you know. Episode 10. It's almost like an anniversary. Yeah, right. We're almost done season one. <laughs> season one. <laughs> <laughs> then we're going to have to release all the behind-the-scenes stuff, and I don't know if people are ready for what happens behind the scenes. Yeah, and the zombies come out in the next episode. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, now that we're you know huge and that we've gotten picked up by <laughs> as our official sponsor, we gotta we got to step up our game. <laughs> I will be bleeping that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good point. All right. Uh, so what's going on around there? What are you guys getting gearing up for? Uh, you know, it's 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 PASIC is coming up soon, so we're getting ready to oh, yeah. send our stuff there, figure out our plan of attack. Uh, we're just going over the lineup today. It's a really cool lineup this year. Mark's um, doing it, right? Yeah, Mark will be there, and there's a few other kind of up-and-comers that I'm surprised. Mark Kullenberg is going to be there, Okay, who's great. He's been out with uh, Robert Glasper, among miss other things. Uh, Dave Elitch is going to be there. Matt Gartz is going to be there. Oh, man. Larnell is going to be there. Larnell Lewis. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. Annika is oh. going to be there. Rashid Williams is going to be there. Near Z is going to be there. You know, I think it because it's in San Antonio, they're able to get different artists. Oh, it's not, it's not in uh, Indianapolis. Yeah, they finally have ended that. They had like a contract, I think, where it had to be three out of five years at Indianapolis, I believe. Okay. I'll confirm that. So now they're back to going around the country. So San Antonio is going to be a big one. Oh, that's awesome, man. I was talking to Mark uh, when we were in Ireland about you know his performance and stuff, and he's doing the typical Mark Juliana thing by you know really caring about it and putting a lot into it. And uh, I, think, I think it's going to be pretty amazing for sure. Yeah, I mean, PASIC is a lot of times is a coming out for these artists like i saw glenn Cochi solo for the first time at pasic i saw benny greb for the first time solo at pasic right uh when i did it that was like kind of the beginning of of a new career you know like yeah right glenn after i got off stuff. uh you came up to me and you're like do you want to be on the cover of modern drummer i'm like what <laughs> um <clears throat> you know and and so yeah and it, and it, it changed a lot of things so uh, it's definitely one of those things that um, I, I I thought there was just more pressure to it because the crowd is made up of, you know, extremely schooled drummers. Everyone's sitting in the crowd. They they know what's going on. And so you can't BS them. You really need to be on top of your game for that stuff. So that was... Yeah, it's great. It was a good good training ground. I've been going since 94, believe it or not. Really? And you know who I saw wandering around the floor in 1994 in Atlanta, Georgia? I have no idea, but I know that I graduated high school that year, so... When I was 17, who did you see? Tony Royster Jr. was was he was just wandering around the hall with his dad and just annihilating everybody. 1994. <laughs> Sounds so about was, right. I don't know, eight years old, I yeah. guess. Same, same year he came into the music store that I was working at when I was 17, lit up all of our kits, and walked out the door and yep. with I mean, his dad. <laughs> yeah, and it was like, okay, right on. 
I'm just going to quit now. Yeah, I was 15, and it was a little disheartening. They had a jam session in the lobby. I remember this so distinctly. I think Ed Sof was the, the house drummer. Okay. Who sounded amazing. I mean, they were playing you know, standard jazz stuff. It sounded great. Then John Blackwell sat in, like a young John Blackwell wow. before, before yeah. Prince and all that. And he just annihilated everyone and did his. He did the Max Roach hi-hat stuff, right. stick twirls and all that. It was amazing. And then little Tony gets up there. Little Tony. I was like, okay, I'm going home now. Game over. Game over. Ever again. Yeah, I mean, definitely by no means can you say that he doesn't put in the work because he does. But, I mean, he really has been pretty incredible since he was a little kid, you know. Yeah, 1994. And, and you can't steal the work away from him and just say, oh, well, he had Dennis as a teacher. You know, you could have put me with Dennis when I was eight and I wouldn't have turned into Tony Royster. So, um, you know, yeah, you it was cool it. to see. I mean, like Ed Thigpen was showing him little tricks and I think it was might have been uh, might have been Danny Gottlieb was showing him this little crossover lick and, and Tony got it immediately and played it faster and cleaner than than anybody else. I mean, it, was, it was just immediate. And he was a little kid. He could barely even touch the pedals. That's so cool. We had a DW hang when I was a DW artist um, when they were getting ready to release the performance series. And so that was, you know, DW's first kind of affordable kit under the DW name that wasn't a PDP thing. And right. they brought in a bunch of artists. And it was myself, Tony, uh, J.R. Robinson, uh, Terry was there. And anyways, at one point, like, it was the coolest thing ever, but... Myself, Tony, uh, Thomas Pridgen, we were all standing around while J.R. Robinson was showing us exactly how to play the uh, intro um, to Rock With Me by Michael Jackson. And nice. and there was like the big debate, like, is it a five-stroke roll? Is it singles? Do you flam this? And it, it was just so cool. And then we would all take a turn playing this lick that's... For these monster drummers, the lick itself is easy, but getting it to feel the way that J.R. makes it feel was like impossible. And so... So what is that sticking? Um, it was, let's see, I think it was a little, uh, the five, not yeah, a it was word. a, um, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but it was diddled and that's what uh -huh. we were trying to figure out. Was it single strokes or diddled? And it was diddled. But the thing is, and nothing against JR cause the dude is the man, but he doesn't have like marching doubles. So it's like, it, you almost have to have kind of like this weird, kind of sloppy double stroke roll to make it sound just right you know um yeah, yeah it was really cool though because it when he would just sit down and play the drum set it sounded like a guy playing drums but as soon as you put him in the environment of a song it sounded like you were in the studio and all of a sudden there was compression and reverb in the room and you're like where did that come from um, it was just yeah. it, it's it's there's no one it, he didn't luck into the gigs he has you know what i mean yeah that's a genius of those guys and i think it's just like like for like being a model, some people just take better pictures. Right, and I think some drummers just sound better under microphones. Yeah, unreal. You can't really describe it. Maybe it's like the mass of their hands. I don't know. No, but for it's sure. just some guys just sound thin, and some guys sound amazing. Some people look really weird on screen. Some people look great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm. Uh, yeah. I'll be the weird looking, bad sounding yeah. guy, and uh, hence we're on radio. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's the only thing left, and that's for ugly people. All right. Um, yeah, tell me about your. Uh, you got the London Drum Show coming up. Yeah, I have a. I have like kind of a European trip coming up, uh, which will start in Spain doing the Tam Tam Drum Festival. Um, so I'm really excited about that because it'll be my very first time ever playing. Uh, the lineup is crazy, but it'll be my first time doing anything with Dennis Chambers. So. Um, 
I'm I'm very excited to hear the report on that because we've all been anxious to hear how he's doing. Yeah, uh, Sput just did something with him in Switzerland and said he's doing really well. Um, so yeah, I'll definitely report back. But I'm really more than anything. I mean, we all know kind of what was going on, you know, a little bit, and so I'm just excited that he's he's here and I get a chance to shake his hand and thank him for the influence, you know. Um, and then Russ Miller's on that, which I'm stoked about because he's one of my all time favorite drummers. And then another guy. Um, who is kind of a German legend, but I've never had the opportunity to even meet him. Uh, Wolfgang Hafner is on it, and uh, oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, and so and I and I I just I just know that every time I'm in Germany, he's just so revered as like the guy. He's you know he's the guy there that's famous to non-drummers. They all know his name. So um, yeah, I've heard him called like the Steve Gadd of Germany. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see him play. And then there, you know, there's like every drum festival. There's a lot of people who I don't know which by the end will then be my favorite drummers as well. So, um, so yeah, so it starts in Spain and then I have two days off in Spain. So I'm going to try to organize some kind of social media event hangs where I, I can't stand the thought of being in a hotel room for two days. So I'll just pick a, a restaurant or a public place and say drummers of Spain, meet me here and let's, let's work on some stuff together. Um, then I go from there to Edinburgh, Scotland and I'll do, um, I'm doing a clinic in Scotland, and then I go from there to London. I'll do the London Drum Show, and then the day after London Drum Show, I have a clinic at Bell Percussion. So, um, But it's all of this stuff is gearing up for the London Drum Show. That's the one that I'm practicing the most for. So Spain will be a good kind of place to, to try out all my new material and stuff. What's on your docket for this clinic? Um, <clears throat> the Actually... The article that I just sent you recently, Hidden Rhythms, that's kind of where the clinic starts is it starts with this like broth of the soup of just straight kind of monotone but very quiet 16th notes. And then I just start showing the crowd what's sitting inside of those 16th notes. Um, And it goes from the kind of the classic, you know, uh, world rhythm stuff. And you, you hear that the claves are inside there and the cascara is inside there and the Brazilian claves and the partido alto is all hidden inside there. And you just have to pull it out. And then I go into odd groupings and then flammed groupings and get into like the Tony Williams and Elvin Jones stuff and then all the linear stuff that's hidden inside of there. Um, and it's just the goal really is just to let the crowd know, hey, you don't have to search out the craziest thing in the world. Maybe you can just go deeper down the rabbit hole of the stuff you already know, and you'll 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 discover some amazing new things that were sitting there all the time. So that's the teaching part of it, and then I have about an eight minute solo, and then I'm playing a couple tracks. So, wait, sounds exciting. Is that going to be filmed? Yeah, as far as I know, the London Drum Show is for sure. So, um, so yeah, it should be fun, and I'll, I'll give you guys a report on everything because London Drum Show. Once again, it's just a powerhouse lineup. Annika's on that one, uh, so we'll do some minor stuff together because uh, her and I are pretty good friends. And then um, Peter Erskine's on it. I've never gotten a chance to even meet him, so I'm excited about that. And then I'm really pumped for uh, Harvey Mason because he was a big influence when I was much younger, and I've never had a chance to meet him or play with him. So Nice. That's going to be great. Yeah, it should be fun. So, so You talked about your article, so let's talk about uh, one that's in the issue now that people can see. Grooving in form. You wrote that. I think it's part two, which is what's the form on that sucker? A B A C. Is that what you do for that one? Yeah. So the goal with like the grooving in form stuff, you know, for me, I mean, I would love to just tell everyone that I'm a creative drummer and I just sit down and I groove, and that's really not the case at all. And so a while ago, I started thinking, okay, when I have things, especially 
um, when the subdivisions get more dense, like 16th note triplets or 32nd notes, that's really, you know, six notes per beat in the case of 16th note triplets or eight notes per beat in the case of 32nd notes. And I thought, well, that's a lot of notes per pulse. And so I'm going to see if I can kind of start using things like jazz form. And instead of it being, you know, a, a phrase, you know, a 12 bar blues phrase or, you know, an, uh, a 16 bar phrase, maybe it could just be one beat. So beat one would be an A, beat two would be A. And and it would be the same idea as jazz form. It would be I would state the melody, then I would repeat it to kind of make sure the audience knew that I knew what I was doing and I'm kind of getting them familiar with it. Then I would take a departure from that for a B section for one beat, which would be beat three. And then I would come back to the original A section. That would give me an A-A-B-A. Well, in the groove, we did that in part one, but in part two, I wanted to expand that and get deeper. And so really what I do is on a whiteboard, I just kind of write A equals, and it's going to equal some sort of six note pattern that is based in grooves. Um, and then B equals, and then C equals, and then D equals. And I just have this whiteboard in front of me, and I start mixing and matching for beats one, two, three, and four. So in this mm. article, the form was A, A, B, C. So you play something, you play it again, then you depart from it, and then you depart from it even more. And it it really creates some interesting grooves, especially, like I said, I mean, it, it wouldn't really work too great in an eighth note subdivision because there's not enough density of the notes. But when you're in the more you know, dense, heavy note subdivisions like 16th note triplets or 32nd notes, it really gives you some cool flavors. So, Is this uh, mainly a practice thing or do you use this when you're actually writing parts for songs? Yeah, I mean, it's it starts off as a practice thing, but for me, it's how the create, creative juices get flowing. Like, I can't just sit down and say, okay, 16th note triplets, groove, you know, shuffle variations, let's go. It, it, nothing happens. I'm paralyzed by way too many options. So it's something where... I sit down, it's very methodical, and I, I put everything I play into two categories, non-creative and creative. So this is in the non-creative category because I'm not being creative. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. It's sitting on a whiteboard, and I just have to do it. And then hopefully while that's happening and I memorize the pattern, then my ear grabs a hold and says, oh, man, you should really open that hi-hat right there. And I do that. And now the creative process is started, but I have a really good foundation to start being creative on top of. Oh, that's cool. Does it start to happen naturally? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like when I'm playing, when I'm soloing now, um, there's actually a part of my solo in London where um, I'm playing in just kind of straight 4-4 four, four time and um, my subdivision is kind of 16th note based. And then I start accenting every third 16th note inside of the, the solo that I'm playing. Um, and then I... T- I slowly drop out the ghost notes that are gluing those together. So then you're just left with the three over four polyrhythm. And then I take those every third 16th note becomes my new eighth note, which puts me into a really good tempo for kind of halftime shuffle vibes and, and the vibes of these 16th note triplet grooves. And when I get into that zone, like, I mean, an endless supply of vocabulary is just waiting for me. And it's all from this exact article, um, page 73, in September's issue of Modern Drummer Magazine. So it's all from that practice that I'm able to now have a vocabulary. So, And I don't ever feel bad about it. I mean, that's how we learn languages. You learn very stale, boring words, and then one day you're able to put them into a sentence. And then months later, once they've really sat with you long enough and you've learned enough words, you're able to start to form you know, paragraphs and full conversations. Yeah, I think the key is to just be super patient 
Exactly. You know, I, I have a hard time with that, especially if I get like a method book. I want to finish the book. For me, the gratification is to know I can play every note in that book. But then then I go away from it for a month and, and none of that is absorbed. Right. Absolutely none of it. So basically all I'm learning how to do is be a good sight reader, <laughs> which is also it, – it was a good skill to have when I was doing a lot of theater and, and sure. college ensembles. But now that I'm just trying to have a, a vast vocabulary, I'm like, I'd really need to go back and relearn uh, Dave Grohl's fills from Smells Like Teen Spirit, like actually learn them note for note and have that become part of me when I have to play that song. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's the hardest part is getting to that point that it starts to naturally come out of you. And it should be something that happens. And then you have to look back on it to realize, oh, that's that thing I did like four months ago. Okay, it's showing up now. Um, You know, so yeah, and some things sometimes it's a physical ability on the drum set, where I'm just trying to physically break some barriers. And then with something like this, there's there's soundscape environments like the world of 16th note triplets where I only had a few memorized grooves, but I couldn't explore that environment. And so, um, this lesson grooving in form really, you know, when I'm writing for modern drummer, I'm never writing for the readers. I'm actually just giving you something that I was working on a few months ago or a few years ago. So these are the lessons that I created for myself to help myself break through certain barriers. And I'm assuming that if I needed help with this, then maybe somebody else does too. Okay, so the cover artist for the September issue is my good friend Gil Sharon, um, who I actually, he he came up to me at PASIC when I first started the magazine. He performed there before he really had any major credits to speak of. He had his own band, Stolen Babies, and he had played with a bunch of reggae guys in California, but no like national-level credits that I had heard of. But uh, he gave a great clinic. You could tell he was nervous, but super excited, and his energy was amazing, and so positive and he just came up and we just started chatting and that was 10 years ago and then from there he's just been on a path um, now he's out with Marilyn Manson prior to that uh, oh he's also on uh, two new records by Team Sleep which is Gino from the Deftones side project yeah. um, he's been spent some time with Maynard Keenan's project Pucifer uh, I witnessed him during a session for Otep's uh, probably two records ago at this point. I don't know exactly, but it was one of Otep's records. He was hired to be the session drummer, and I sat in and watched that, and he killed it. And then before that, he was he replaced Chris Penny in the Dillinger Escape Plan. So he's he's had a pretty awesome uh, trajectory in the past decade. So yeah, he's on the cover, and he talks all about Marilyn Manson. Um, were you aware of Gil before reading the story? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we actually play his reggae DVD in our lobby all the time. Um, and that's what's so weird is he's so authentic with that stuff that I'm like, when I would read things like, oh, he just now he's in Dillinger or now he's, you know, out with Marilyn Manson or I mean, dude, even t- trying to take over the reins from Zach Hill, you know, uh, playing in uh, Chino stuff, Team Sleep. I'm just like, are you sure that's the same dude? Because right. he doesn't seem like a rock guy playing reggae. I mean, he seems like he really... I mean, that. have you seen that DVD? It's like 96 hours long. Yeah, I did the uh, transcriptions for it. Oh, well then, so you've probably seen it. It's it's <laughs> unbelievably like in-depth. It's crazy. Yeah, and I think... I'm glad you brought that up because I know, I know he would say that, that reggae is his first love and, and it was his gateway to learning all music. Um, he he relates jazz back to reggae with the shuffle feel. He yeah. relates um, rock and roll to reggae. So his his ground zero for just drumming in general is reggae. 
And I think that is the secret ingredient to why he's able to make all this metal stuff sound so good. Um, like, if you listen to the Dillinger Escape Plan record, he's on Ironworks. I mean, it's undeniable that that really dense, complicated music grooves. I mean, it's magic that he's able to take this music that most people would just muscle it out and get really tense, and, and it would sound kind of harsh and angry. He finds these little pockets to make it just bounce. And in my opinion, that is, if you want a record to check out Gil Sharon, it would be Dillinger Escape Plan Ironworks. It's not easy listening. It's really intense. It's really in your face. But just to see how he navigates that stuff and always finds a backbeat or finds a way to make it like danceable right. is, is amazing. He did the same thing with Otep when I was in the session. He was just you know hired to do the record, and, and it was a lot of heavy double bass and real intense stuff. But he was able to find a spot in every track, like even if it was the breakdown or the verse, where it's just like you, your head just starts bobbing. That's so cool. And it all goes back to his reggae. I mean, his love of reggae and understanding that it's all about a pocket. Yeah, he talks about in the um, in the article uh, just about his insane love and care for shuffles. And what I think what's really cool is he even talks about how producers, you know, around him are kind of knowing him as the shuffle guy, you know, because he he does. It's it's not something where he's like, well, if you need me to, I can play it. Like he really loves it, and he he kind of understands the history of where it all came from. Where do we start shuffling? And when you watch his the DVD, I mean, that's when you start to realize, like, okay, you know, I guess reggae isn't just this random one drop loop that happens on a Casio keyboard. Like it's so deep, you know, um, or just Caribbean drumming in general. And when he plays it. And like I said, I mean, maybe it's not 96 hours, but it's a long DVD and I'll come out. It's on in the lobby. I'll practice for an hour. I'll come out. The DVD's still on and he's just in a whole nother world, but yet it's still, you know, related to reggae and Caribbean drumming. So um, I think it's really cool how much he cares about that stuff and brings it to the projects like Marilyn Manson and stuff. And, you know, I mean... There's a lot of shuffling when you listen to Marilyn Manson stuff. Even on Marilyn Manson's first single ever, it was a shuffle, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so you you've been friends with him for a while. I mean, what type of guy is he? Is he a quirky artist drummer guy, or is he a relaxed normal cat? Yeah, I mean that's I. I mean I think keys to success on his type of level is first of all just being a, a badass drummer, which sure. he is. Uh, but really it comes down to being just a good person and he's 100% authentic. He's a great hang. He's one of those people that if he's in the room, you're going to have a good time. Nice. And not like party guy, just he's going to be good positive energy. He's going to have, you know, just, he just, he's a good hang, a good positive person. So there's no, there's no surprise that he's getting hired to do a lot of record dates because that can be really intense to go in and have to crank out 12 songs in two or three days and for him to come in and be like, yeah, I can do it. You know, no big deal. And it'll right. just be a good hang. And, and when he, if he messes up, he'll just laugh it off and just, just do it again. No big deal. That's cool. Uh, so, yeah, he's a, he's a real good good hang. That's that's crucial. Um, no no ego, no baggage. So if he's if he's rude to anybody at NAMM this year, that's coming back to you, right? <laughs> that's on you. 100%. Mike Dawson said this guy was going to be cool, so I ran up to him and tackled him, and he was not cool at all. I'll blame Manson. And he, oh, and you know what? Word of warning. He's also a martial artist, so don't do that. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. You've been warned. Um, yeah, I like to. He was talking about in the article about um, how Marilyn Manson kind of hears everything he does and hears the feel that he's playing and whether he's flamming notes between the floor tom and the bass drum and 
how everything needs to be in unison. And I, I really enjoy when artists, you know, drumming artists give us a little bit of light into the artists they're playing for as well, because, you know, obviously Marilyn Manson has gone way out of his way to give us a public persona so that we don't know who he is as a musician. And it's kind of cool to know that somebody at that level does know what they're doing. They know the rhythms that are being played behind them. They know the textures that are being played behind them. And they hired somebody like Gil Schroen because they need it to be the way they need it to be. Yeah. I mean, and it's an intense gig, too, and, and on every level. The playing has to be top-notch. You have to be on your toes. You never know when something might change. And you, he needs you to, to handle just the chaos of that show. Absolutely. Well, hopefully you guys out there will uh, take a take a look at his DVD. What's the DVD called again? The reggae one? Wicked Beats. Wicked Beats. Yeah, it's it's well worth it, especially if you're into that stuff. But you know, don't think you're just going to get a bunch of cookie cutter reggae grooves. I mean, you're really going to get the history of reggae drumming. He's got amazing musicians in the DVD with him. And it's, it's when I said earlier, going deep down the rabbit hole on a specific topic, that's exactly what that DVD does. So, you know, when people ask me, Hey, can you teach me some reggae stuff? I actually let them know, like, okay, I'll give you the generic thing to get you started. But if you really want to get into this, you should be you should learn this from somebody that's massively passionate about this genre of music, and that would be Gil Sharon. So in the September issue of MD, you get to review a bunch of stuff, and a few of the things we're going to talk about would be the Peisty PSTX series and the new Craviato Johnny C. Snarys? Series? <laughs> Snare drum. Uh, so the, the Peisty PSTX the PST series has been around. I'm assuming the X is just the designation for their kind of effects, effect yeah. symbols. Okay, and and you were the ones that you were the one that reviewed these, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I I probably mentioned it a few few episodes ago that I was checking them out, and yeah, they are they're they made a good choice. They the PST is their budget line, so they're not expensive. So they figured if they're going to drill a bunch of holes in something, it's not going to be their signature alloy or. And so it's the cheaper alloy, which makes the prices really cheap. So you can actually get, um, I mean, I'm looking at the list prices for the 14-inch Swiss Crash. is only $151. That's the list price. That's crazy. That's crazy. So you can get it at a store. You can expect anywhere between you know, 40 and 50% off probably right. for that. Um, so they're cool. I mean, they have a lot of holes in them. So they're, they're, they're definitely effects symbols. And, and the, the cheaper bronze uh it makes it a little bit more of a harsher kind of accent, kind of a sound, in a, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, especially that. with with a lot of stuff like effect symbols, you the whole point of it is for it to cut, you know. So it being made out of a cheaper bronze actually kind of benefits what the effect is supposed to be. Yeah, and my favorites of the bunch were the hi-hats. They have 10-inch, 14, and 16-inch hi-hats. Um, and again, the prices are ridiculous. 10 inches listing for 212, 14 for 302, 16s for 384. And these and these have all the holes drilled in them, top and bottom as well. Yeah, yeah, tons of holes. the The hi hats, I think, yeah, they have two. I think the bottom is actually brass, so you can you could flip them over to get a slightly different sound if you put the brass on top. Gotcha. Um, they're really cool. The hi hats. I mean, if you're going to check them out, though, that's my suggestion to go with the hi hats because they're they're funky. They have a little bit of that uh, like broken drum machine kind of vibe. The tens are really cool. The sixteens are really cool. The fourteens were a little bit. Uh, you know, middle ground. They were neat, but I would I would go with the tens or the sixteens if you're looking to add some kind of effects. Sure. Kind of trashy hi hat x hat. And then the stacks. Were, did you actually make the stacks, or do they sell them as a stack? They sell a stacker. Yeah. The, there's a ten inch swish splash. Um, there's a fourteen inch swish flanger crash, which is a slightly different design. But these are all 
separate symbols. They have medium crashes, thin crashes, but then there is a stacker that's designed to be played as a stacker. Awesome. Uh, it's cool. I mean, it, it, again, I for me, it wasn't enough. The hi-hats had more versatility for me. The stacker was neat. It was a little bit too uh, short. Got it. Yeah, the the tens. You know, um, I just when uh, even though it was a different brand when we were over in Ireland, uh, Mark had some ten inch hats and he set them up exactly where you set up the um, the tens on your kit, and that was definitely my first thought of or first time going like ah, I would really like to have these here. This is a very comfortable yeah. place to have a set of ten inch hi hats. Yeah, he puts them like where the rack tom sort of yep. would be. Yeah, yeah, really yeah, cool. that's neat. It was a lot of fun, and I in the video demo I kind of used what I remember Mark kind of playing his style to kind of demo because I think that's appropriate. We're going to play sh- like short, fast bursts of sound. Yep, that's where you would use this stuff and go to the crashes when you just need a real kind of gnarly fast crash. the The stacker is called the flanger stack. The flanger stack, and again, that has a brass, that has interchangeable brass and a bronze symbol. Very cool. Stack on top of each other. Yeah, they're pretty neat, and they also have these aluminum bells that were like the exact opposite super crystal clear pitchy i mean if you hit them more than once a night i think your band is going to look at you funny <laughs> but they were neat <laughs> they were neat well <laughs> they're called and you bells. know not everybody plays with a band some people play by themselves in a, in a basement and they just want some cool sounds so nothing wrong with that yeah well they'll you hit them once and you can go have lunch and come <laughs> back, it'll still be ringing. <laughs> nice all right well let's uh let's take a listen to those Another thing that you reviewed in this issue was the Craviato Johnny C series snare drum, and that's a more affordable, still professional level, but a more affordable snare drum. And so, are these mass produced somewhere else, or are they still being made by Johnny Craviato? It's exactly the same. Uh, the shells are exactly the same. Every every Craviato shell, from my understanding, is bent by Johnny himself. Okay, he bends them all. So these are you know just like any of his other maple. They're all they're only maple. Um, single ply steam bent shells. Um, they're only available currently in a five and a half by fourteen and a six and a half by fourteen. We had actually printed some other dimensions, and, and the guys at Craviato called. It's like, you know, we don't offer those, but thanks. Now we're going to make a thirteen. Oh no way! Yeah. <laughs> so they're now they're now working on thirteens. Now, where is the cost savings coming from? Is it from the lugs? Is it from just the fact that he can? not have to customize it and do the inlays and stuff it's it's mainly because they're now using uh they've developed a cast lug 
So it's not the brass tube lugs that are going their high end stuff. So they're, they're saving by you know, mass producing these cast lugs that are a little bit cheaper and just having a consistent, simple maple shell. Right. You can just crank them out fast. And the edges are, you can't customize the edges or anything. They're all 45 degree edges. Right. So there's no, there's no options. Got it. Get this drum, and they they sounded great. The six and a half by fourteen is an amazing all-purpose drum. Um, I would recommend it to anybody, and they're really affordable. Whereas a normal Craviato could be a, a thousand plus. Right. These you can get for like six something. Yeah, the the list was six something, and and I was because um, I was like, oh man, like even if a store did thirty off, that brought it down to you know about four twenty, uh, four twenty five, and so. That's, you know, I mean, to me, that's kind of right when you're getting into professional level snare drums, right? Right about $400. It's like, okay, yeah. this is a real professional snare drum. And after that, you are paying for things like more expensive lugs. You're paying for more customization on the shell itself, different finishes. But you're, you're really not generally getting a, you know, a better sounding shell. You're just getting more customization, and that's where the cost is going up. So, I mean, yep. if you kind of need, and like you mentioned in the article or in your review of it, they just come in plain maple. So whatever color kit you have, this will go with it just fine. Yeah. I mean, they're great. I, 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 I'm so glad that they decided to do this. They're, the 6.5, again, is, is an amazing drum. I think every collection needs one. The 5.5 was also great, but sitting next to the 6.5, it, it was not quite the same. The 6.5 can go high and low like really, really well. Everyone that heard it was like, what is that drum? I'm like, yep, that's Craviato. Well, I'm going to order one, and then uh, I'll have Amber talk to you about my, my recent <laughs> purchase because she's very she's very of the mindset that we have too many drum sets in our house and our garage and our storage unit and our studio so um i'll just tell her look mike said that everyone should have one in their collection and i wanted to be a part of the cool kid group so i ordered one awesome well, let's take a listen to that Yeah, so we were just talking about the Craviato snares, and it reminded me this weekend I I played a gig where there was a young band that was going to open up for us. They were all teenagers, 16, 17, maybe 18. 
Um, and it was at a small bar club. And they were a great bands. They didn't sound like kids. Uh, so, but they were, you know, we were backlining, so he had to sit in on our gear, uh, minus the usual. I told him to bring his own snare drum, his own pedals, his own cymbals, which is all good. Super nice, super nice guy. Uh, he also brought two sample pads. So he had the SPDSX and, and a uh, Octopad, which was fine. I mean, it was like no big deal, but it ended up adding like a half hour of, to their setup time. Oh, boy. So, you know, it was like I kept thinking, all right, here's a lesson to share. Like, if you're going to be sharing equipment with other people, bring the bare minimum. Yeah. Like, did you really need both of those sample pads? <laughs> um, you probably could have just used one of them and save, save a little bit of time. And then he also... It's pretty funny. They started playing, and, and the kid was was good, but man, was he hitting hard. Oh. And man, was he using the worst snare drum choice. <laughs> he, really? He brought, yeah, he brought. I mean, this is a small room that might hold a hundred people, and it's like a, you know a brick kind of bar. He brought a thick cast brass snare. Oh, so every time he hit that thing, it was like a shotgun. It sounded awesome. I mean, I loved it. But it sounded like a shotgun was going off every time he hit the thing. And at one point, it might have been the, one of the kids' relatives or just the lady that was at the bar. She went up to the sound man and was like, the drums are too loud. And the guy looked at her and goes, lady, I don't have a button for that. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there were no microphones on the drum. Shut up. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> There's nothing I can do other than throwing a blanket on your nephew. <laughs> yeah, there's no button for that. That is so, so it, awesome. It, it made me think like I need to. I think one of the, one of the skills you develop over time and experience is to know what gear to take to different gigs. Yeah. So going to this room, I knew it was going to be pretty loud. You know, and it's and we try not to assault people. It's a, when you're playing a bar, people are there for social to get together with friends. They're not there to listen to your show all the time. Right. So you don't want to like crush them. So I make a conscious effort to bring quiet symbols. I brought nothing but old vintage Stilgen A's that are real thin that I knew would, wouldn't kill anybody. And I brought a, a walnut mahogany snare that I knew was sounded nice. It was mellow. It wouldn't crush anybody. And this kid brought the drum that, like, if he was going to play Madison Square Garden, okay. Yeah, <laughs> right. that drum. And I'm sure so, he was rolling deep with some 2Bs or some 5Bs and just... Yeah, and he was just crushing. I wanted to just, like, stop him and be like, here's a lesson you need to learn. Yeah. If you can't hear everybody else on the stage, you're too loud. Yeah. Because the no, bass was sure. getting destroyed. Uh, the vocals actually were cutting pretty good, surprisingly. But the bass, you couldn't hear it at all. So I wanted to just tell him, like, look, here's just... If you can't hear every note that your bass player is playing, then you're too loud. Yeah. And, and no amount of sample pads is going to fix that. You only need yeah, well, you know, when he went to the pads, because the sound engineer could control it, the mix was perfect. Really? Every time he went to the pads, and everyone just kind of looked like, ah, oh, that's how it should sound. Ah, do more and of then that. You go, back, you go back to the kit and like, oh, someone just jabbed me in the eyeball. Oh, again. that's rough, man. Well. Yeah, and he was good, too, so. Well, hopefully he listens to this podcast, and he'll. Uh, yeah. He'll be like, oh, that hurts a little, but all right. At least I'm going <laughs> to fix it from there. Yeah, I didn't bust his chops at the gig or anything. That's awesome. He's like, I want to bring my own snare stand and highest. I'm like, all right, fine. It's supposed to be, you know, just use what's here, but that's fine. Whatever you need to do. Yeah, that that stuff takes a little while to, you know, I mean, we we work on that here at the camps. I'm in the middle of a camp right now. And the first thing I say on orientation is this kit is not getting moved. Not one inch, not an angle of anything. I have a hydraulic throne that you're more than welcome to move up and down since we're all different heights. But and to them, I'm sure at first they're thinking like that it's an OCD thing for me, but it and it, and a little bit of it is. But what it really is is me saying like 
you need to get you need to become a professional drummer and a professional drummer sits down and plays what's in front of them unless it's something you know in like you know i wouldn't do that maybe at a clinic for myself but you know for the most part you should be able to sit down and play the drums you know and, and make the adjustments in the moment and get through a song or get through an exercise um i mean china the, i think in, the whole time i was in china i only played one gretsch kit and it was always you know there were no stores providing kits it was hey we got a pearl session series from a guy that lives down the street from here and it's like okay oh yeah. a 10 by 9 rack tom sweet let's do it like you know and and i mean what they don't want me over there complaining and becoming a drama queen over the gear so you sit down and, and you make the best of it um but yeah it does take a while to get comfortable thinking well i'll just play whatever's there it, that's yeah i mean you're, you're going to be uncomfortable i mean i think i think it's just part of the deal the monitors are never going to be good right the the house kit is never going to be perfect you just have to learn how to push through um, but I mean, to, to the credit of this band, they killed it. I mean, they sounded great. That's cool. But it, it was just like, dude, can you tell that everyone in here is wincing every time you hit the snare drum? Yeah, that's hard because when you're that young, you're actually trying. You're actually like defiant, and you're and you're saying, "Well, this is how I play," you know. And it, it yeah. takes a while to become mature enough to say, "Okay, I need to play for the people that are here because they're not here for me to make my artistic statement today." With the loudest snare drum that the world has ever seen. So yeah, it, it, it takes a while. And there's also too, I mean, when you're a rock drummer, I mean, I grew up as a, as a rock kid, there was like a badge of courage of how hard, you know, I grew up with Abe Cunningham from the Deftones, uh, Dave yeah. Buckner from Papa Roach, Chris Robine from far. So we all live in the same town and there was a badge of courage of how hard you could hit, how fast you could break, how many sticks did you break tonight? And it took a long time for all of us to kind of realize, Hey, this is an acoustic gig. I don't need to do that. <laughs> like, yeah, so it takes a while, but it's part. It's part of the process. So hopefully, this will be a good lesson for him as well. Yeah, and learning how to to play with energy without playing loudly is is that that takes years. Mark Juliana is is the man on that man. Uh, yeah, he can play whisper quiet, but it seems like it's just a, a fireball coming at you. Yeah, and it's all it's all internal. I think yeah. the lesson the lesson is to not rely on the external to create the energy. That's an internal fire that you just have to build up on your own. I agree completely. All right, well, let's get to our picks of the week. This is our chance to alert you of something that both Mike and myself think is worthy of you checking out. So, Mike, what is your pick of the week? You know, I've been uh, maybe it's because it's the fall season and I'm going back and reflecting and relearning things, but I've been doing a lot of. Uh, examining some of the the songs that made the most impact to me as a, as a young drummer and and really learning them the correct way not like the 13 year old way uh, like learning every note trying to get the drum kit to sound exactly like the original playing every fill as close to exactly the, as it was recorded as i could and memorizing it wow not charting it out so what i'm using to do that is how leonard and and alfred has put together some incredible drum play alongs that sound like for the most part exactly like the original recording okay so my pick would be any number of those how leonard's drum play alongs alfred's drum play alongs they have everything like i I, i'm currently going through nirvana red hot chili peppers james brown living color um i'm going to go into some Jimi hendrix and is this Um, stuff downloadable or is it a dvd or i mean a cd type thing you know it might be downloadable but it's a book with a with the CD. So the okay. book has the transcription of the chart, which are pretty close to accurate. I've had to make just a few minor corrections to the ones I've done so far. 
And the cool thing about the tracks is there's no vocal and there's no click track. Oh, wow. So there's, there's no, um, there's no safety net. There's no, you can't be like, Oh, I can't play this track cause there's no click track. I mean, and, and I'm pretty sure they, they re they reproduced them along with the original. So the tempo fluctuations and stuff are intact. Wow. That's really cool. You have to know the song. Like I am currently working on Cult of Personality by Living Color. Yeah. I mean, I've been playing that song since I was 10 years old. Right. But I've never tried to play it without the vocal to kind of guide me when to go to the different sections. And I can't play the freaking thing. <laughs> I have to <laughs> learn the I lyrics. Can't play it. <laughs> I have to learn the lyrics. Oh, that's so cool, man. That's a, that's a, the, that entire album is one of those albums that like you, it seems so easy when you just listen to it in casual listening. And then when you try to play it, you know, like love rears its ugly head. Good yeah, luck. That was on the second record. What's that? That was on time's up the second. record. Oh, sorry. 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 Yeah. Vivid. So cult of personality, uh, that was their first single. And that was like our introduction to like all of these guys in full on, what were they wearing? Body glove wetsuits? Body glove and all kinds of bright, like graffiti style. Unreal, man. I mean, Will Calhoun and and, uh, Vernon Reed. And I think that was, that's their first bass player, right? Before Doug Wimbush? Yeah, that's Muzz. Yeah. Muzz Gillings. Yeah, man, that was and that was one of those tape cassettes that I you know would open at at the end of every night, and I would just like memorize the lyrics to everything, and yeah, that was my band. There's awesome. a lot of uh, there's a lot of voodoo in there. I mean, if you really try to learn Will's parts, I mean, there's like there's some like phantom ghost notes. You're like, what is he doing? I have no idea. Is that a triplet? Is a sixteenth note? I mean, he's there's some magical bits that yeah. when you really try to become him, it's difficult. Sure. Really difficult. Absolutely. What's your pick? My pick of the week is a, a uh, oddly enough, a podcast, um, and it's called Off Camera. Uh, it's it's Off Camera with Sam Jones, and Sam Jones is a photographer that um, does. He's a he's a big time photographer that does photo shoots with celebrities, and he he just has a very relaxed nature about him, and he becomes very good friends with these celebrities. And then once the photo shoot's over, he does like an hour-long podcast with them. But they've already spent the day with him, so they're so relaxed and they're not doing the interview thing. I mean, it's you know full just heads up, kids. There's you know there's full cussing and very relaxed. But what I really like about it, you know, he might be interviewing uh, Kevin Bacon or uh, uh, you know Tony Hawk, Robert Downey Jr., Jeff Bridges. And what I really like about it is they recount their childhood and then the lessons they learned from different directors. And all of those lessons are totally applicable to the drum set. You know, when they're talking, um, you know, it's Jeff Bridges talking about working with Martin Scorsese and um, how he approached this scene. It immediately conjures up visions of like, I could approach my solo at London drum show just like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to take influence personally from outside of the music industry. Um, and something like acting is very similar to performing on your drum set. And so the, it's really cool to get the, the really kind of behind the scenes, no glossy image stuff of these celebrities, especially the actors themselves and really hear who pushed them in what direction. What was it like working with this director? 
Um, and I, I, I really enjoy the podcast a lot. So it's called Off Camera with Sam Jones. Did he do – I think he did the Wilco documentary. Really? I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. Have you seen that? I haven't. That was the documentary that kind of like catapulted Wilco into the mainstream because they got dropped by the label while they were making the movie and making the record. And it's really – and it was Glenn Cochie's first uh, – he had just joined the band. Okay. And then they got dropped? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they made this record and the label didn't want it. <laughs> so they, I mean, it's, I don't want to ruin, I mean, it's a great documentary. It might be top five music documentaries of all time in my book. Oh, by the way, yeah, I just checked it out on uh, Wikipedia. That's, that is him. That's the guy that did the documentary. Yeah, I am trying to break your heart. So I need to check out. He's, that, that movie is amazing. So I'm going to check out the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Like I said, he just disarms these guys. And within two or three minutes, I mean, you, you feel like you're literally having a conversation. Um, you know, with Matt Damon, and um, it's it's pretty cool because uh, we only get to see them either acting or being in interview mode where they're on. And Sam Jones, like I said, is able to disarm them, and they're not on anymore. And they really just you know let you into what helped them become who they were. Um, I mean, Matt Damon's telling stories about him and Ben Affleck uh, being seniors in high school, and they would go to a different cafeteria than the rest of the kids and they would have business meetings and they had a joint bank account where they would save everything to pay for their auditions in New York. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's like the, you get the real story. And it's like, wow, this is really cool. Okay. Um, and there isn't a single person that's you know massively successful that he interviews that doesn't have the same attitude of there was never a plan B. This is all I was going to do and I was going to die trying to make it happen. And that's kind of... You know, I've noticed that with all the drummers that I'm huge fans of, it's it's always been the same thing. You know, man, someone should do a story about the guys who died while they were making, trying to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's that too. There's that too. I think, uh, yeah, there's the Nirvana documentary or the Kurt Cobain documentary <laughs> and the uh, the uh, Chris Farley documentary, but uh, but they still made it. But uh, hopefully, you can do it a little bit safer than that. Just some green tea and some almonds, and maybe a couple handfuls of blueberries, and you're going to be fine. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Episode 10 is done, um, and we will see you guys next week. If you get a chance, please go by iTunes and give us a positive review. All that stuff really helps, and it helps us rank higher when people are searching for drumming podcasts. So, until next week, we will see you guys soon. Goodbye. Yeah.